Herman Fuller's Circus of the Disquieting. The traditional idea of a circus is largely a thing from a bygone era at this point, due to the lack of innovation, the questionable animal rights practices, and the general creepiness of clowns. There are people, however, that endeavor to keep the circus going, in various forms, attempting to bring new life to an old show. The circus had always been about being able to witness the incredible and the unbelievable, and the SCP universe generally has that in spades. Herman Fuller's Circus of the Disquieting is pretty much what it says, a really weird circus, featuring some really weird individuals and attractions. The story of this circus begins with a young man named Herman S. Fuller, who in 1893 at the age of 21 was invited by his wealthy uncle to Chicago to see the buildings his company had constructed for the World's Fair. Herman was enthralled by what he saw there, from the beauty of the White City to the wonder of the Midway. Two years later, he decided that he would dedicate his life to bringing that same sense of awe to others, and he would create his own little fairy tale world of amazement and excitement where visitors would be challenged to rethink their ideas of what was possible. Unlike in Chicago, though, this show would travel the country and even the world so that every soul on Earth could experience its magic. His wealthy uncle felt a tinge of admiration for his ambitious nephew and agreed to help fund the project. This is all the information that the SCP Foundation has on the origin of Herman Fuller's circus. The only documentation they have that even proves Herman Fuller existed are some bank records and letters from his uncle. A death certificate was issued for a Herman S. Fuller in 1906, with malaria listed as the cause of death, but the authenticity of this is debatable. Herman Fuller and his band of associates have continued to acquire certain anomalous individuals and objects over the years, often purchasing them from Marshall, Carter, and Dark, and proceed to put on shows across the globe. They set up these performances anomalously as well, somehow appearing without anyone noticing and disappearing afterwards the same way. Obviously, the Foundation isn't a big fan, although they have managed to contain a number of anomalies that were formerly part of the circus. The circus overall doesn't seem to be the happy, fun-filled kind of place it tries to make itself out to be. Plenty of blood has been spilled and lives lost over the years, both from attendees and from the performers themselves. Those performers that attempt to leave are generally prevented from doing so, violently. The myriad of clowns that work for the circus are mostly non-human, but are in fact some sort of monstrous, shape-shifting abominations, their natural form consisting of an array of eye stalks and tentacles. They also seem to produce some sort of milk, and need to be milked occasionally. The second-in-command working underneath Herman Fuller is an individual that typically goes by the name of Manny, who has been part of the circus for a very long time. He started out as part of the group of strange humanoids in a circus known as the Freaks, with he himself possessing an upside-down face. But his influence amongst the others continued to grow, and he was slowly given more responsibilities. Manny often handpicks new acts to join the circus, and in some tales even takes over the circus after Fuller. Herman Fuller's circus is a pretty mysterious group, with generally no real goals outside of simple entertainment, 
And so, as usual, I'll stick to showing off a handful of interesting SCPs related to them. There have been a large number of tales written about the circus, including an entire series of tales called Dread and Circuses, but let's focus on the SCPs. SCP-1884-A is a blind Albanian woman in her late 60s, with no hands. Instead, her forearms are joined together where her wrists would be, and her body is covered with extensive scars that she claims came from poor treatment in captivity. 1884-B, however, is a single living organism composed of 932 hands, all attached at the wrist to the central mass of flesh. 929 of these hands are identical, and resemble the hands of an elderly woman, while the remaining three appear to belong to an adolescent Caucasian male, an adult Hispanic female, and a Bengal tiger. This entity is normally docile, but if one of its hands is ever intentionally damaged, it will retaliate by using its nails to sever the aggressor's hand or equivalent, and integrate it into its body. The two entities share a strong telepathic connection, but both are independent entities. 1884-A uses 1884-B in a manner similar to a seen eye dog, while B uses A as a hearing aid and its mouthpiece. The two entities came to the attention of the Foundation when A attempted to check into a hotel in the United Arab Emirates by bartering its jewelry for lodging. When the receptionist refused, B broke in through a window and aggressively approached the receptionist, who quickly fled. B then stole a room key and the two were found inside of one of the hotel's rooms by the Foundation. In an interview, A states that she has been connected to B, who she refers to as Luana, for as long as she can remember, and has had her physical abnormalities since birth. Luana is her eyes helps her feel the ground so she can walk, helps her hold things, and even carries her on occasion. When she was eight, men came to her house wanting to purchase her and Luana from her parents. Her parents had tried to hide the two of them from the world, and sent the men away. Later that night, a man with an upside-down face, Manny, came into her room and abducted the two of them. They were taken to America and were forced to work in Fuller's Circus. At first, the two of them were just part of the long parade of freaks that worked at the circus, but once they grew older, they were told that they needed their own act to earn their keep. They dressed her in flowing clothes and jewelry, and billed the two of them as Madame Rizarta and her amazing palm reader. In their act, Luana would walk across the faces of volunteers, and she would make deductions about their appearance based on what Luana felt such as if someone broke their nose as a child, or recently had an accident on a fishing trip. If she made a mistake in her guess, she went without dinner, and if she made an error in her English, she was whipped, so her English improved quickly. As the circus grew and started touring the world, she was forced to learn many more languages, being currently fluent in Albanian, English, Cantonese, German, Japanese, Mandarin, and modern standard Arabic, with rudimentary knowledge of a handful of others. She was underfed, slept on the same mattress for 30 years, and was abused on a regular basis. If Luana tried to rebel, she was whipped instead, as her skin is thinner and it hurt both of them, 
They only attempted to escape twice, once shortly after they arrived, and again successfully much later on. She believed that despite the conditions in the circus, life would be even worse in the outside world for the two of them. The second escape attempt was very spontaneous on Luana's part, killing the guard outside of their tent while A slept. When she woke up, she was very afraid and almost didn't want to attempt to flee, but she was even more scared of what Manny would do if he learned that Luana had become dangerous. They didn't run far before stopping at the hotel, and Luana didn't listen when she told her to wait outside. Another interview is conducted with Luana after teaching her how to read braille. Luana says that she is the only one of her species and describes herself as a hand thing. She has been connected to the woman ever since her first thought and doesn't remember anything about where she came from other than that it was wet. When asked about the circus, she raises the middle finger on every hand she can. They were treated badly there, often punished, and she says that they are crooks. They would often hear screaming coming from other tents throughout the circus late at night. Luana made the decision to escape so that A could have a better life. Despite the paranormal nature of this SCP, the story here isn't that far off from the actual exploitation from circus freak shows years ago. Let's move on to something a bit more weird, with SCP-1921, a mobile kiosk designed for the production and sale of cotton candy. A sign on the kiosk mentions that the cotton candy is free with admission, and the interior of the kiosk contains two separate devices, a sugar spinning contraption for creating cotton candy, and a self-plane 32-key calliope. The cotton candy machine is connected by a small pump to a reservoir at the bottom of the kiosk, containing a black, highly viscous liquid. The tank is labeled as clown milk. When a subject consumes this liquid, their serotonin levels will immediately increase to the point of cardiac arrest. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter believed to be linked with feelings of happiness. The cotton candy produced by the kiosk's machine is invariably black, thanks to the presence of the clown milk. When the candy comes into contact with human saliva, it contracts and shrinks, but once inside of their digestive system, it will expand to three times its original size. It will proceed to fill the subject's digestive tract, and then integrate itself with the subject's central nervous system, primarily accumulating in and around the subject's brain. This process typically goes unnoticed by affected subjects, aside from a slight tickling sensation. The calliope plays music capable of being heard by listeners up to over a kilometer away, despite it not being particularly loud. Along with the calliope is a collection of 11 rolls of perforated paper, and when a roll is inserted into the machine, a specific song is played. The real anomalous effect is when one of these songs is played while a person who has consumed the cotton candy is within listening range. The first song causes subjects to not consider anomalous phenomena out of the ordinary, which is likely a principal part of the circus putting on a show. The second song causes increased levels of serotonin and dopamine, with an inability to concentrate on any topic that they find unpleasant. This would definitely keep everyone in good spirits during the show. 
The third song seems to be played only if the police make an appearance, as it causes subjects to become unable to perceive the actions of others as unlawful. The fourth is if any of the audience start to catch on that something's amiss, as it suppresses the subject's ability to sense personal endangerment. The fifth song seems to be a ramped up version of the second, causing subjects to experience a state of extreme euphoria to the point of incapacitation. The note written on the paper indicates that it's not for personal use. The sixth song is from when the show is about to begin, as it causes all affected subjects to congregate in one area, generally at the brightest light source. The seventh is noted as being for emergencies only, as it causes subjects to seek out others who have not yet consumed the cotton candy and attempt to persuade them to eat some. If that doesn't work, they will resort to violence and force feeding. The eighth song is noted as being a last resort, as it causes subjects to experience seizures, hallucinations, severe nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, and high fevers as a result of massively increased serotonin levels. Subjects show an increasingly light-hearted demeanor before expiring from cardiac arrest. The ninth and eleventh roll have been forcibly ripped apart, and the tenth roll had no observable effect, although the note states that it's for preparing all the clowns for milking. A foundation doctor is tasked with repairing the damage done to the ninth roll, and testing it on some D-class. Although it's restored, it still doesn't seem to do anything until the fourteenth test. You have to admire their commitment, by the way. During the 14th test, all of the keys on the calliope are suddenly pressed at once, and the music changes into a down-tempo version of Entrance of the Gladiators, the most common piece of music associated with clowns. The D-class states that the music is giving him a headache before exclaiming, Oh my god, I love clowns, and then suffering a seizure. The song finishes playing and the D-Class falls unconscious as the original song continues playing. When the D-Class woke up, he claimed that he could not remember who he was and complained of severe discomfort in his chest and abdomen. Much later, an autopsy is performed on the D-Class, revealing a small balloon filled with glitter inside of his chest cavity. A scrap of paper was hidden amongst the glitter. The paper reads, Okay. Something definitely went screwy. What's the deal? We could have used this one. That contraption busted again? The back of the paper reads, P.S. We're getting hungry here, Charlie. Keep it in mind that most of the clowns in Herman Fuller's circus are monstrous abominations. I think it's best if the Foundation stops testing. Speaking of clowns, SCP-2912 is the designation for a set of three of them recovered after a raid on a fairground where Herman Fuller hosted a show. By the time the Foundation arrived, all of the rest of the tents and members had left, except for a small tent with these three anomalies inside, and a non-anomalous human, who we'll get to later. SCP-2912-1 has an almost entirely spherical body, with its legs, arms, and head heavily atrophied, and no skeletal system to speak of. 2912-1 is able to transport itself by filling an internal gas bladder, which encompasses the majority of its internal space, and by propelling the gas out through its sphincter. 
It's also capable of extending a long black tongue, which produces a sound similar to that of a party horn. Its level of intelligence cannot be ascertained, but it seems capable of understanding several English words in the form of commands. 2912-2 is an unusually tall and spinely humanoid with a bloated left hand and abdomen. It's capable of producing various forms of music through different bodily functions, such as using its vertebra like a xylophone, slapping its large flat left hand onto its bloated abdomen like a bass drum, and making a vocalization that researchers have described as a cross between an accordion and an early electronic musical instrument. Its face lacks eyes, but it has a bulbous red nose that it is capable of honking, and large mouth devoid of lips. Music produced by it triggers strong emotional responses among listeners, although whether this is an anomalous phenomena or not is unknown. 2912-3 more closely resembles a human, with the appearance of face paint on its face. The only vocalization it's capable of is laughter, which causes uncontrollable laughter among listeners, lasting anywhere from 6 to 32 hours. It also is capable of creating cream pies out of thin air, possibly by transmuting and teleporting nearby matter to itself. The non-anomalous human that was found with them is a Caucasian male, believed to be between 40 to 60 years old, who provided his name as Dick C. Normus. The interview conducted with the man is laced with heavy profanities, as he doesn't seem pleased to be in containment, claiming that Mr. Fuller isn't exactly known for his patience. He says that his job within the circus is clown breeder, and so was his father and his father's father. When asked what the job entails, he calls the researcher stupid, and says that it's right in the name. He breeds clowns. Back in the old days, they didn't have clown breeders. Instead, they had child breakers, who transformed children into freaks through some sort of anomalous means. Around a month and a half after entering containment, the three anomalous clowns all exploded inside of their containment cells, with no changes in their behavior prior to this event. Their containment cells were coated with blood, viscera, confetti, and a viscous black liquid. When asked about the incident, the man angrily stated that they forgot to milk the clowns, and they've ruined a decade of work. Five weeks later, an anomalous individual somehow entered the man's containment cell, implied to be Manny. We only hear audio from the man, who at first believes that he's being rescued, as he says that he's the best clown breeder that Mr. Fuller has. Instead, the man dies as Manny approaches him, with an autopsy revealing the cause of death to be a heart attack. It seems Herman Fuller values his secrecy quite a bit. Finally, we have SCP-2094, who provides quite a bit more insight into how it is working in the circus, or at least one perspective of how it might be. 2094 is a human male of European descent in his 30s, who speaks American English with a New York City dialect. He possesses exceptional, non-anomalous manual dexterity, with a proficiency in juggling, but his anomalous trait is focused around his mouth. His lower jaw and facial muscles can be stretched up to 2 meters in any direction without causing considerable pain or injury, 
and any physical matter that enters his mouth can be redirected into an extra-dimensional space. There seems to be no limit to the amount of matter that he can store in this space. The weight of objects inside have no bearing on him, and he suffers no discomfort or impaired mobility from stored objects. He was recovered in an open field in Japan, along with a bunch of non-anomalous objects related to the circus. He was locked inside of a large antique trunk, bearing the words, For Essie, on its top panel. During initial containment, his storage space was emptied out, revealing a large collection of objects, including wooden juggling clubs, an accordion, a filled suitcase, a fully functional 1962 Maserati 3500 coupe, an operational submachine gun circa 1959, a fire-breathing torch, and a plastic trunk containing 45 bottles of kerosene. An interview is conducted by Dr. O'Sullivan the day after 2094 is taken into containment. It's immediately evident that 2094 is highly talkative and quite jovial, making a number of jokes about the situation and O'Sullivan's last name. When asked about the Circus of the Disquieting, 2094 says that it's a grand place with lovely people, and the doctor should go see it sometime. When the doctor says that he would very much like to see it and asks how to find it, 2094 says that you don't find the circus, it finds you. As you go through a dull life of drudgery and you're starting to feel like there's nothing worth living for, the circus will make an appearance to remind you that there's still some magic left in the world. The doctor then asks about a man at the circus with an upside down face, Manny. 2094 says that he's a very memorable fellow good with kids, excellent performer, and diligent leader, who's usually off doing his own thing as he's very busy. O'Sullivan asks when 2094 first met Manny, but he says that the doctor doesn't really want to hear about that. He'd rather hear his impression of Jane Fonda. The doctor reassures him that it's okay for him to talk about his experience at the circus, if there was any abuse, as he's safe from his captors now. 2094 says that nothing could be further from the truth, and that the people at the circus are saints. He ran away from home, and they welcomed him with open arms. He's encouraged to open up more about how he started at the circus, so he talks about his youth. When he was eight, he lived with his alcoholic mother, and the two hated one another. She resented his abnormality and kept him holed up in their home, as she was worried he would eat someone. It didn't occur to him to ever leave until one night when he was visited by Manny at his bedroom window, who told him that freaks didn't belong cooped up in boxes their whole lives. Manny said that they belong out in the world, sharing their gifts and making people laugh and scream and puke. He then told him of a place where he'd be loved by hundreds and be a star with a real family. 2094 went along with Manny, his mother too drunk to notice, and he says it was the best decision of his life. He says he wasn't treated badly at the circus, as he was fed and had a bed to sleep in, with an occasional whooping now and again. Overall, they made him feel like part of the family, and when you're part of a family, you don't just turn around and sell them out to the SEP Foundation. It seems that whoever wrote for Essie on the trunk wanted the SCP Foundation to retrieve it. When asked about why he was locked in the trunk, 2094 goes silent and says that he's done enough talking. 
eight months later, another interview is conducted, in which 2094 expresses his discontent for his containment, complaining about bad food, a hard bed, and the lack of two-ply toilet paper. Dr. O'Sullivan says that things could be made better if he would provide some more information about the circus, but 2094 is still adamant about not wanting to provide sensitive info about his family. O'Sullivan says it doesn't have to be sensitive, just general information about his life there. 2094 acquiesces and tells the doctor to picture the most perfect day possible and the most beautiful circus possible, and that's what it's like when the circus puts on a show. Things tend to get chaotic more often than not, but when they're ready to bring in an audience, everything is picture perfect. It seems that this takes place in the Dread and Circus's timeline, in which Herman Fuller is no longer running the show, but rather a female clown named Icky. When 2094 first arrived, he was rather shy and overwhelmed, and was given the job of being a human clown car. He would go on stage and open his mouth to let loose a parade of clowns. After that, he picked up some juggling from someone named Scythe, who in addition to being a juggler, could also be stabbed throughout his entire body without being affected. He later died by being set on fire on stage. After a while, 2094 became more comfortable at the circus and started to assert himself, moving on from the human clown car into juggling random objects and swallowing them. He knew he needed to do better than that to avoid being relegated to the den of freaks, so in his teens he decided to try devouring an entire person. He put a plant in the audience, called them up, and then swallowed them in one gulp. He says it was alright and nicely provocative since it was always a woman, but then he got someone named Theodore involved, who could turn himself inside out. He also had a talent for gymnastics, so Theodore would leap off a diving board, flip inside out, and land directly in 2094's mouth, which turned out to be a big hit. Like all things though, the act got stale after a while, so he had to come up with something new again. While talking to a fellow performer, the other individual said that he'd barf a swarm of bees on his face if he didn't shut his motor mouth. 2094 liked it enough to take on the title of motor mouth, and came up with the idea of having a car speed off a ramp straight into his open mouth. Again, it was also a big hit, and legitimately dangerous, as he likely wouldn't have survived if the car missed and hit his face. Motormouth became a legend among the circus, receiving top billing status. That's where his story ends though, as he doesn't reveal why he ended up in the box. A couple of months after this interview, 2094 was found in a state of extreme distress, but he was successfully restrained and sedated. Immediately prior to the incident, 2094 is heard seemingly speaking to himself in his cell, screaming for someone or something to stop as he clutches his head. He then leaps from his bed and begins knocking his head against the wall, asking whomever to not take anything. He then falls to the floor and screams, telling Manny that it's all he has. It's revealed after he wakes up from sedation that he is now is suffering from severe retrograde amnesia, specifically in memories related to his time in the circus. Basically, Manny somehow was able to rip 2094's memories of the circus out of his head so that he wouldn't talk, which fits with what we've seen before. 
O'Sullivan is reprimanded for not being more effective in retrieving information prior to this, and is removed from his post as lead researcher. SCP-2094 entered a state of severe depression after this, and Dr. Miranda Aniston took over research. In a letter to the site director, Dr. Aniston explains 2094's extreme change in personality, his depression, severe anxiety, and his constant state of terror. He is now visibly nervous around interviewers, and has shown a marked decrease in its interest in physical activity, including juggling. She says that there's only so much he can do at this point, especially with his unstable mental state, and it's unlikely that he'll ever return to his previous disposition. A month later, 2094 was found attempting to consume himself in what seems to be a suicide attempt, but he was successfully restrained and sedated. Dr. Aniston sends another letter to the site director years later, telling him how little progress she has made with 2094 during that time. Over the past two months, however, 2094 has begun to open up again, even requesting juggling clubs. 2094 hasn't completely explained his change in mood, but has said that he has made peace with the past, has forgiven and been forgiven in return, and has gotten back something valuable. Yesterday, 2094 submitted a request to hold a performance for the staff of the site, and Dr. Aniston recommends that it be granted under supervised conditions. She mentions that the site director may think that 2094 is just pretending in order to manipulate personnel, but she doesn't believe so. The following month, in an interview between Dr. Aniston and 2094, it seems that he is back to his old self, telling a humorous story from his time in the circus. When asked about his memories, he says that he still doesn't have everything, but he has most of it, including why he ended up in the trunk, even though he kind of wishes he could forget that. He finally decides to tell the doctor the story, and says that, just like how Manny saved him from his rough childhood, he also helped plenty of other people. The longer that Manny was in charge of things, though, the more he changed over the years. At first, it was just a worse attitude, but then Manny started bringing in some kids that were a little different to the rest. 2094 often worked with the kids that Manny brought in, so he began to feel that something was off, although at first he thought they were just traumatized and needed time to settle in. Things changed with one girl, though, who had the anomalous trait of being able to fall apart into pieces and put herself back together again. 2094 had been working with her one day, teaching her to juggle herself, when she suddenly broke down crying and said that she wanted to go home. That's when he realized that Manny had moved on from rescuing anomalous kids, and instead started kidnapping them. He went to Manny and yelled at him, telling him that that's not how they do things anymore, but Manny slapped him and said that he was doing whatever he could to keep the circus alive. Apparently the circus was doing quite well for itself, but Manny still believed that they were on the verge of collapse. It seems that Manny was either overly worried, or still hung up on Herman Fuller's way of doing things, but 2094 says that it's no excuse. 2094 decided to stash the girl away in his mouth and sneak her back home. When he returned, Manny was waiting for him, telling him that he betrayed the circus. He called all the other performers out to watch as 2094 was shoved into the trunk, so that the foundation could find it. 
2094 says that Manny made a big deal out of it because he was scared of losing control and had to make an example. He had to get 2094 out of the picture, but at least he sent him somewhere safe. Compared to a number of other groups of interest that I've covered, such as the GOC or the Sarkites, Herman Fuller's Circus of the Disquieting isn't an incredibly complicated group with massive plans in mind. They are pretty much what the title implies, a really weird circus, but the interesting parts of that are mostly the people involved in such a group. Sure, the whole clown milking thing is pretty odd, but a group where a random assortment of anomalous individuals could find something akin to a family is pretty interesting. Although it seems once you're a part of the family, you're part of it for life, for better or worse. It has its moments of good and bad, depending on who's running things, but it's still been going on for decades, so that's impressive at the very least. Maybe one day the Foundation will finally shut down the whole operation, but for now, perhaps it really is the greatest show on Earth.